The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2905. This is the episode where we would normally be going into a deeper dive on the most recent episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And we are going to do that in a way. But there's something that happened on that episode that begs a deeper conversation beyond just our normal deep dive. Punch it. Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Boydot and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it, though in all honesty, maybe this is going to be a slightly less joyful episode than the usual by comparison because of what we're going to be talking about. I mean, maybe there will be some joy at the end, some light at the end of the tunnel, as it were. But yeah, we're going into some deep, heavy stuff. And I guess I should probably even put a content warning or a trigger warning out there for what we're going to be discussing. But I'll start with the insurrection on January 6th. So I did an episode talking about that real-world event on January 7th of 2021. That was the last time I did a real-world episode, if you will, and there's only been a handful of those across Star Wars 7x7. But I didn't just do that insurrection episode of the podcast solely about the insurrection. I did tie it to Star Wars and the lessons that we could learn from Star Wars and how Star Wars potentially offers insights for us in that regard. And that's what's going to be happening here as well as we talk about episode five of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Now, you may have noticed that they put a warning label up before the episode saying that certain scenes in this fictional series may be upsetting for some viewers. And I went back to look because that's the first time that warning has appeared and they did not apply it to episodes two, three, or four, but they did add that same message at the beginning of the first episode of the series. So it's pretty easy to guess why it would have to do with the Order 66 sequences in those episodes. And more directly to the point, there's a rather horrific coincidence in episode five, and I guess this is where the content trigger warning really applies. So Reva talks about having played dead among the cooling bodies of her fellow younglings during Order 66. And the first thing that I thought about when I heard that in the episode was the story about the poor girl who survived the Uvalde school shooting last month, who put the blood of her classmates on herself so she could believably pretend to be dead. That happened on May 24th, and that was just a couple of days prior to the release of the first episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So, of course, the Kenobi series wasn't drawing on that as you know, source material, and of course, Order 66 was described back in 2005. So, you know, certainly, you know, just a terrible coincidence. But because of that coincidence, there's maybe an invitation to consider the real world parallel and wonder whether there's something to be done about that. And there's also an equally strong response out in the world to not mix the two, to let Star Wars just be entertainment and nothing more than that. But of course, Star Wars has 
always been political and always invites these kinds of conversations, whether or not people are actually ready to have them. So there was a column written by Jim Hoagland in the Washington Post. It's from December of 1977. And just for reference, Hoagland has won the Pulitzer Prize like twice in 1971 for international reporting and in 1991 for commentary. He wrote an article called The Politics of Star Wars, and it includes an extensive interview with Charles Lippincott. He's the guy who is the genius behind the grassroots marketing campaign to promote Star Wars back in the day. And I'm just going to quote some of the things that Lippincott says as part of the interview. He says, Star Wars is so transplanted that most people have no realization that part of it is about a Vietnam situation. And Hoagland goes on to write, until now the production team has shied away from talking about the strong Vietnam influence on Star Wars, which was in fact conceived in 1971 while Lucas was preparing to make a combat film about Vietnam. Lucas backed off the combat movie and went to work instead on Star Wars. And of course, the movie that he backed off from was Apocalypse Now. So in talking about the potential of doing Star Wars earlier, like in 1971, for example, Lippincott says, it would have been impossible to make the film then and have it be so successful because public sensibilities about Vietnam were so much more exposed. And then he goes on to say, people are doing little thinking about what the film is saying. My own view is that it deals with the fact that someone who is politically disinterested can be forced to become involved, that one has a responsibility to fight against totalitarian governments in one form or another but I'm not sure people in this era or decade are prepared to look at that yet. Now, there's another idea that I want to bring into our conversation, and it's one that came to prominence in the late 1960s, early 1970s. It's from a paper titled The Personal is Political by Carol Hanisch, which was published in a pamphlet or magazine called Notes from the Second War, Women's Liberation. It comes from the second wave of feminism in history, if you will, and it's about women's roles and about how that relates to societal structures, how they're seen and valued, and the opportunities that they have available to them back at that time. And another way of, I guess, putting that is, you know, it has to do with there being a perception in the late 60s, early 70s that female feminists at the time were just bringing their personal lady problems into the public arena when in fact those so-called personal problems were happening because of power dynamics and power relationships, which includes electoral politics, but it goes far beyond that. And it started just based in feminism, but conceptually it extends beyond that. And you can apply it to any group that's been marginalized in society, basically any group that's not white, that's non-cis male, that's non-hetero. Now, let me bring that back around to Star Wars and say that, of course, Star Wars does not represent a political institution or a societal institution per se, but you can fairly say that it's a cultural institution and it has significant and influential power in the public sphere. And I would also say, <laughs> dragging Star Trek into this, that it's different from Star Trek because just from the franchise perspective, like the word Trek in Star Trek positions that franchise is primarily about discovery, whereas the word wars in Star Wars positions this franchise as looking at politics played out at the extreme end of the spectrum of political action. But even then, Star Wars really succeeds by telling very personal stories. They're depicting characters interacting with each other against the background of different and competing ideologies. And sometimes those ideologies you know, have the same ends, but not necessarily the same means to get there. Like, for example, contrasting Mon Mothma, wanting to have the alliance to restore the Republic succeed, but not willing to go to the lengths that say Saw Gerrera wants to go to. 
So that's one way you can conceive of the idea of the personal being political in Star Wars. Another way you can look at that is through the lens of representation. So when a certain group of persons can be seen as excluded, so to speak, from Star Wars storytelling, it's essentially a political statement by omission. So there was a brief Twitter thing that happened recently where Lucasfilm posted a Pride variant of the cover of a Star Wars comic because a bunch of these are being done in honor of this being Pride Month. And some random Twitter person responded with a don't make Star Wars political comment to which the official Star Wars account replied, and that's awesome, that queerness isn't political and wars is literally in the title of the franchise. Now, I get the gist of the queerness isn't political statement, and in one sense, that's right. But in another sense, the power structure of our society is very interested in making queerness political. And it's super easy to flag an example of that with what's going on with Florida and Disney and Governor Ron DeSantis is an example of that. So Star Wars is definitely making strong strides in terms of representation. The High Republic Multimedia Initiative is getting a lot of props in that regard. And The Acolyte is poised to become the first live-action Star Wars story featuring an out-non-binary person, Amandla Stenberg. I hope I've said their name right. They've long been rumored to be cast for the lead role, but we're still waiting for the official announcement. Now, I don't know if it's fair to judge individual Star Wars projects in terms of representation, Overall, I mean, I think it's probably something that has to be built up over time. And while it's cool to see it happening in media that draws a smaller audience by comparison, like books and comics and animation, it's important that we see representation continue to expand overtly in live action storytelling. Ultimately, I think what I'm getting at is that George Lucas meant Star Wars not to just be a fantasy. He wanted it to be instructive for future generations as well, and to avoid the political conversations that Star Wars inspires and reflects is to avoid something that Star Wars is crucially foundationally about. So that's what I wanted to talk with you about on this deep dive episode related to episode five of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which we're titling Frame Within a Frame since it doesn't come with titles. And I just want to encourage you not to be afraid to have these conversations. I have to say, in all honesty, I have a little fear about these things. And there's a lot that I don't know and a lot that I have to learn. But we're not going to learn anything by not having these conversations. So I would love to hear what you think about any of these topics. So please chime in. If you're catching this on YouTube, then there's comments right there. And if you're catching the audio version of this episode, then please head over to SW7X7.com and drop a comment in the show notes for the blog post for this episode. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.